0: Everybody grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read one and a half verses and then I'm going to let you be seated. We stand for the reading of the word of God because he is worthy of praise. Amen? Praise God. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6 into verse 9. Jesus is teaching us how to pray and he says, Our Father in heaven, everybody say "Our our Father. Your name be honored. Everybody say your name. May your kingdom come, everybody say your kingdom, kingdom. and may your will be done, everybody say your will, will. where on earth as it is in heaven. Before we're seated, before we do anything else, let's just take about 10-15 seconds and invite his kingdom into this place here and now every hand lifted every heart raised god you are worthy of all praise you are already king of kings and lord of lords and right now god we submit ourselves to your authority and we place ourselves under the reign of your throne and we ask that your presence would be made known in this place today in jesus name everybody said amen, amen. y'all can be seated Keep your Bibles open. We're going to be doing a little bit of drifting as I lay the foundation of our brand new series that we're starting today. I'm simply titling it, This is the Kingdom. But before I get into that, I want to give a rousing Buena Asafiwe to all of our family in Kenya. Come on, Nola family. Let's make them feel welcome. Praise God. And I don't know how to speak Albanian, so I'm just going to say, hey, y'all, to everybody in Albania. They're going to learn how to say, hey, hey, y'all, at some point, because we can't speak whatever it is that they speak, but Jesus is still God, and I'm excited about what God is doing in NOLA Church and through every one of y'all. Wasn't the presence of God so thick in this house during worship? Praise God. Three of my favorite songs that we do, and I I can tell that Jesus likes them as well, because his presence just filled this room. Amen? Y'all ready to go deep over the next few weeks? Are you sure? Like, Philip's with me. He, he's ready to go deep. He's wearing his Smokey Bear t-shirt. He's ready to go deep. You can't go deep without a Smokey Bear t-shirt, but anybody besides me and Philip ready to go deep today? And praise God. I, I am excited. God has been digging this series out inside of me for the last couple of years. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And he was like, Nah, no, you ain't ready yet. Not, not that y'all weren't ready. There were some things that I had to teach you so that you would comprehend this, but I, truth is, I wasn't ready. But in this, my whole life, fifth generation preacher's kid on both sides of my family. As many of you know, I grew up dodging bobby pins under a Pentecostal pew because they didn't have chairs. I was laid up under there. They were singing, I'll fly away, old glory, and the bobby pins were flying, and I was like, one, two, three, you know, that, that's how I did church, but I know church but I was not ready for where God was taking us and he began to do something in my life a couple of years ago bringing us to this place and the last few series have been paving the way to get us to this point point. and over the next few weeks I'm not going to tell you how long it's going to be because I'm not really sure how long we are going to be in this but over the next few weeks we are going to be learning what it means to usher in the kingdom of God and I, I read from a very popular passage of Scripture. It does not matter what your christian ease faith background is. It doesn't matter if you come from liturgical background or if you come from denominational or even non-denominational. Everybody knows about the Lord's Prayer, amen? Like you get in trouble in the movies, you start saying the Lord's Prayer, and then the bad guys will go ahead and leave you alone. That's not really what happens, but that's what they do in the movies, and depending on your background, you may have been taught that when you do something really bad, you got to say this prayer over and over and over. Or maybe like that's the one scripture you knew to remember besides Jesus wept. By the way, that one's shorter. That one's easier to remember. But um, like for various reasons, we know this scripture. We, we know about the Lord's prayer, but there, there's a lot of things that we don't know about the Lord's prayer because we still look at it as something that we should pray. And notice this, Jesus, if you go back in, at the beginning of this section of Matthew chapter 6, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's a couple reasons they did this. First off, they saw this rabbi praying in a way that no one else in in the time was praying. They saw something different about the way that this man from Nazareth was praying. And at this point, they, they weren't really quite sure who he is. They, they had an idea. They, maybe the surface was being scratched a little bit, but they were starting to see there's something different about him. And one of the things that was highlighted was the fact that when he would pray, he would pray with authority. And he did not say pray this prayer, which is why it's very interesting to me that liturgical Christianity or liturgical faith says pray this prayer. D- Jesus never said pray this prayer. It's no mistake to me that Hollywood gets it wrong and says, oh, when you get in trouble, pray this prayer. Jesus never said, pray this prayer. He said, pray like this. In other words, I'm going to give you a pattern of prayer. And if you can learn this pattern of prayer, if you can learn the fundamentals of this foundation, there's gonna be something that happens in your communication between you and the Almighty, between where you are in the middle of your hell and the throne room of God. You're gonna find that direct line connection where the the old school operator unplugs this plug and plugs it in here, and you've got that direct connection where you know that you are in the throne, and somebody besides me know that that's exactly how I want my prayers to function. If it, I don't know how to pray, go go read Matthew chapter 6. Go read the Lord's Prayer. Notice the pattern. You can go on nolachurch.com or on our YouTube channel. We've done a lot of teaching about the Lord's Prayer and how to use this, and we're happy to help you. And even on Wednesday night, if you want to learn how to pray, come up here on Wednesday nights. We've got a small group right here in the theater where we, we pray, we go deep in the presence of God, and you can learn how to pray. But I want to teach you something that is going to become our key scripture over the next few weeks. Right in the middle of this, Jesus is speaking and he's saying some things that are very, very important to us. He, he goes back in. If you don't mind, put the scripture back on the screen. He says, our father in heaven. Now you've got to understand this. A first century Jew would not have referenced God as father. That's more of a transliteration or a translation or an interpolation of of the ancient language into something that we can comprehend. Jesus is not the biological offspring of the invisible. Jesus is the physical manifestation of something that we cannot see. He's not separate from God. He is God. And when you begin to understand this, that the totality of who God is, is housed in the flesh suit that we call Jesus. Jesus is not suffering with multiple personality disorder here, saying, I'm going to talk to the man that lives on the inside of me. That's not what he's doing here. He is teaching us how to approach the throne of God. They would not have said, Father. And more likely, the the phraseology that Jesus used here is, Our source or creator who is in the heavenlies. Something dynamic happens when you and I begin to understand that Jesus is the source of everything that we need. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the living word. He is the creator and the creation all rolled up into one. He is the epitome of everything that we will need. And when we begin to acknowledge who he is, something radical begins to happen in the realm of God. And hell begins to shake. The devil gets scared because they're no longer just saying the name Jesus. They're actually saying the name Jesus with some authority because they recognize who he is. Y'all gonna make me preach because y'all ain't preaching with me. I'm, I'm feeling my oats today. You say, why is he feeling his oats today? Number one, it's nice and chipper outside. Number two, I slept in my bed, in my bedroom, in my house for the first time in a year. Isaac, they're gonna make me run the aisles, but anyway. Our source who is in the heavenlies. What does that mean? Our source who is the realm of God. I acknowledge who you are. You're not some religious figure. You're not some app I add to my. Oh, I'm not even in the intro and I'm. Oh, just the opening scripture. Just may your name. What is it? What's in a name? Identity is in the name. What is the name of God? Jesus. You say the name Jesus. You take all of the covenant names of God rolled up into one. Not we, He will become these things. He is my provider. He is my healer. He is my strong tower. He is my portion. He is the almighty. Praise God. My source. May your identity be. Be honored. May your kingdom come. What does this even mean? We don't have a clue. Because we like living in a Burger King society. Have it your way. Every two or four years, change it if you don't like it. We've convinced ourselves that Jesus was North American. First off, North America did not exist in the first century. We're also pretty sure that Jesus was Republican. Not, not true. Abraham Lincoln started the, the Republican Party. Jesus was there, gone, and already back into the invisible by that point. <laughs> Nowadays, everybody thinks he was communist. N- definitely not. Immediately, no, as the kids say on TikTok. When you're over 50, you have to use the phrase the kids. And you have to tell them kids to get off your lawn. I get to say that now. I'm back in my house. It's so cool. But anyway, get off my lawn anyway. May your kingdom come. What is he even talking about? Y'all, here's the thing. When the kingdom of God comes, our world ends. I'm not talking about the day-to-day going. I'm talking about everything in our agenda is no more when his kingdom comes but when his kingdom comes his will is done in our realm like it's already been done in his realm who I could just give an altar call right there that just there's so much in that one and a half verses of scripture but he gave me some more to say y'all ready to go deep here we go if you need a title today i'm simply titling it everybody get your sword hand out if you want to know how to hold a broadsword you got to talk to tim after church He'll take you larping in Lavernier Park. I'm kidding. He doesn't do that anymore. But uh, I'm kidding. He doesn't do that much. But uh, here's today's title: "Long Live the King." Everybody say, "We say, long live, the King. long live the King." And if you need a subtitle, you didn't ask for it, but here's one: We have to accept the sovereignty of King Jesus. Y'all, as believers, we do not live in a democracy. We live in a monarchy with a divine sovereign who is King Jesus, who is the Savior. What is the difference between a monarchy and a democracy? In a democracy, there's representative government. You get a vote, supposed to get a vote, and what happens? If y'all get a vote in what happens, help me vote out the insurance commissioner so we can get another one. Because the one we got ain't doing a good job. Y'all voted for him. I didn't vote for him. Y'all need some help. Never mind. But in a monarchy, we don't get a say in what happens. And this is why nobody preaches this, especially in North America. Because modern day and postmodern Christians want it our way immediately. I want it with no lettuce, extra tomatoes, hold the onions, add a little mayo, extra mustard. You put that ketchup stuff on there, I'm going to throw it back in the window. And by the way, I want it in less than 30 seconds so I can get back out on the road and do my thing. God's realm ain't Burger King, y'all. This is not a democracy. We don't get a vote in what happens. He has already established his will. His kingdom has already firmly been established in the realm of God. It is ours not to say, can I have a say on that? No, it is ours to say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth in the realm that I live like you're already doing it where you are something amazing happens when we shift our focus from lobbying for our preferences and lobbying for our comforts and our opinions and, it, and we intentionally begin to expand and to advance his realm. Every other part of our life is going to be radically and eternally altered. People ask me all the time, like when you're a pastor, people ask you questions all the time. One of the questions they ask all the time is, how come God doesn't give me what I want? The question we should be asking is, how come what I want doesn't align with what he knows I need? The reason is because we think we get a vote. Right? I'm not coming for anybody except for all of us, myself included. We think we have a vote. We don't. We go to the polls. We pull the lever. We press the button. We punch the chad. Whatever it is that you do to vote, it doesn't happen in a monarchy because the king simply sits on the throne and says, my will be done, and it's going to be done. There's a few things that you learn about monarchical process and one of the one of the things that would happen is when when someone is coronated into being a, the king of a realm or a kingdom the very first thing they would do is they would place the crown on his head and then he would go to the throne and sit down and make a declaration the very first declaration the individual would make sitting in the throne establishes the function and the forward direction of the realm from that point forward he has the crown. He's on the throne. He's already made his declaration. We are in his realm. Amen, amen. So th- there's some things I want to unpack, and this is, this is going to be some foundation, and we're going to dive into different elements of this over the next few weeks, but there are two things that we see in the Bible that show us the importance of placing ourselves within the realm of a king, and we, we read from the Lord's Prayer, and how many of you have read the, the King James translation of the Bible? It's, it is probably the oldest legible English translation that we have. There, there are English translations that were handwritten 30 and 40, maybe even 60 or 70 years before that, but they're really hard to read. My wife, for Father's Day a few years ago, got me a page from a Wycliffe Bible that was 60 years Prior to the very first printing of a King James translation, it was handwritten in English, I think. I couldn't read none of them words. Y'all was nowhere on the page, I was completely lost. But the King James is a fantastic translation. It's extremely poetic in nature. It's very historically accurate. It's very hard to understand, especially for those of us us in southeast Louisiana, that English is not our first language. Southern is, and we get a little mixed up sometimes. So we get into these and thou's and thou shalt not, and we're like, I don't know what that says. So we jump over to the, the paraphrase translation, insert the name of whatever paraphrase you're reading, TPT message, whatever. Oh, this is much better. Those aren't translations. Those are paraphrases. Those are someone's opinion about the Bible, not necessarily the Word of God. Be careful if that's patterning your life. I'm just, you're welcome. I dropped that in as a pastor. You're welcome. But if you were to read the Lord's Prayer in the King James, it, it reads a little bit different than literally every other translation that's out there. If you look at Matthew chapter six, the end of verse thirteen, where where Jesus is closing out this example of prayer, if you don't mind, put this on the screen for us. Matthew chapter six, verse thirteen, he says, "For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever, Amen." How, how many of you all have heard that? If, if you grew up in a liturgical church, you you end your Our Father with that part of the prayer. That part of the prayer is called the doxology. Everybody say the doxology. Doxology. Now, that's not just a a funky medicine word. That that is a literary term, and this is a type of prayer. It is called the doxology because that is the name of it, and it's, it's literally a prayer of praise and exaltation. But this prayer is not biblical. You say, well, it's in the Bible. Well, if you've read the King James translation, you probably think King James from England, James I or James III, whichever one it was, you think he's the one who, no. It was just named after him because he's the one that the translation was completed while he was king. Henry VIII, I am, I am, he's the one who started the translation process. And the reason is because he was leaving the Catholic Church. He was taking the nation of Britannia away from the Catholic Church because he wanted to divorce his wife. The Pope would not allow him to do that, so he said, Choke it, I'll start my own religion. Sounds a lot like Americans nowadays, but and he, he said, I'm gonna do it my way, Burger King style. And so he starts the translation process. you like, well, I don't wanna read the King James. Don't be dumb, it's a very good translation. But there's something about Matthew's gospel. In fact, history tells us that Henry VIII was in a planning session for a military conquest, and he is meeting with all of his, what we would call a cabinet, and his chief translators were in the room as well. And he's talking about the advancements they're going to make, and as they're getting ready to leave the room, Henry VIII, history tells us, turns around and says, hey, by the way, at the end of the Lord's Prayer in the gospel of Matthew, I want you to add the doxology because it just flows better. Okay, if you're like me, I immediately go. Why are you adding to the Word of God? You know, like, why are you doing all this? Well, I, it's a great question. Is it bad? Not necessarily. Let me explain to you why. He added this to the Lord's Prayer because the doxology. Having a Catholic origin was a part of the daily prayer and adoration statement that the people of the day would add to prayers. It was kind of like saying amen at the end of the prayer. It's not necessarily evil but it's not what was in the original text, which is why 99.99% of all the other translations and paraphrases do not include the doxology here. But why is the doxology important? Y'all had no idea. Y'all were going to Bible study today, but welcome to the second Sunday of October as we learn about the kingdom. Y'all ready for class? Here is the historical and biblical foundation for this. In the Catholic realm, it was called the doxology. But in the Hebrew realm, it was called kaddishim. Now, I don't speak Hebrew very well. Harry's going to help me learn how to speak it a little bit better. But I, I don't speak it very well. So if I butchered that, no emails, please. Email somebody else. I don't care. I'm, I'm reading all the emails from the Nigerian prince who's sending me all the money. And I don't have time to respond to you. But anyway... <laughs> So the, the doxology, while it is liturgical in background, it is actually based off of an ancient Hebrew practice called Kadeshim, which is a, also a Hebrew prayer of praise and adoration that actually exalts the name of God. And in Hebrew culture, throughout the Old Testament, you can see this. And even into the New Testament, you can see in the Hebrew culture that there are times that they will pray these prayers of adoration and and, and exaltation and praise to the name of God. And one of the most famous katashims that we see in the Bible is out of Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 23. And there's something very interesting about this. You're like, what does this have to do with the kingdom? I'm about to show you, just be a little bit more patient. I'm over 50 and I have to preach slow. I'm going to get lost. Here's what it says in Ezekiel 38, 23. This is God speaking, by the way. He says, I will exalt and magnify myself. Notice the difference. I will exalt and magnify myself. I will reveal myself before many nations. Then, y'all know we've been studying the if-then statements throughout the Bible He's he's right in the middle of a prophecy from Ezekiel, like Ezekiel's prophecies are burly. They will mess you up when you read them like, oh my God, God is rough. Keeps calling us to repentance. He keeps calling us to life change. And he says, if you'll do all this, then this is what I will do. I will exalt and magnify myself. I will reveal myself before many nations. Then they will know I am the Lord. And so the Hebrews, ancient Hebrews would lean into this scripture and they would pray this prayer. Why? Couple reasons. The reason they would pray this prayer is first off, this is what God said about himself. Man, I wish God was in my life. Are you saying what he says about himself in your life? Are you saying what you think about your life in your life, wondering why he's not getting involved in what you're doing in your life? When is the last time you got involved in who he already is in your life? So they would add the Kedeshim to the end of the prayer, or they would actually just say this prayer out loud to invite the invasion of the kingdom of the Almighty into whatever circumstance they were going through. They would pray this. And what they were doing is they were praying and they were appealing to God for him to fulfill his own declaration about himself. You see, there's an understanding that they had that oftentimes we postmodern individuals do not have. We think we have a say. The ancient understood, I have no say in the realm of the one who sits on the throne. And it's a whole lot easier to go through life allowing someone who sees all, who is all, who has already been through anything you're walking through. It's a lot easier to trust his direction when you simply take your crown of authority off your head and cast it at his feet and say, you're God, and I'm nowhere near it. I, I, I say we, we start our own Kedishim. Is that okay? Jesus, you're God. I ain't. Just get up and pray that every day. Your your day will go better from that point, I promise you. It's not a daily affirmation. It's a statement of fact. You're God. I don't even know how to get started in the Godness. You just be God. I'll be the subject in your realm. Wherever you lead me, that's where I'll go. Whatever you say to me, that's where I'll go. Because this is the kingdom. I'm going to seek. I'm going to ask. I'm going to knock. And then I will be ushered into the kingdom. Man, this is good stuff. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all responding. But Here's the thing about both the doxology and the various ketoshims that we see in the Bible. Both prayers acknowledge the sovereignty of King Jesus. Both of them. Both of them acknowledge the sovereignty of King Jesus. That's why there's nothing wrong with praying the doxology at the end of the, uh, of the Lord's Prayer. If you're, if you're praying through that, you're reading through that in the Gospel of Matthew in the King James, there's nothing wrong with you adding that because you are appealing and you're acknowledging the sovereignty of King Jesus. And I keep saying King Jesus because I want you to understand who he is, not who he was, not who he will be, who he is. When you and I begin to acknowledge the sovereignty of the sovereign who sits on the throne already, whether we like it or not, something begins to change. But I want you to see this. There's something very powerful that we can learn from the history of both the doxology and the various ketoshims. Yes, King Henry is the one who instructed it to be added to what we now know is the King James Bible. But why did he do this? He was the sovereign of the Britannic Empire. And in this culture, which is one of the reasons that he pulled England out from under the thumb of the the papal system at the time, because the papal system was establishing, I'm going to get some emails over this, but it's still true. You You can't argue with truth. Here you go. The papal system established that the pope was the physical manifestation of God in the world. Jacked up. You're welcome. But in the, in the Britannic system, the king was the physical manifestation of God to the kingdom. It, it's what they believed. But notice this. King Henry VIII, as Messed up as an individual as he was. And if you don't know about that, just go do a Wikipedia. Wikipedia gets it about 99% close. You will see just how messed up this individual was. Do not watch the show Tutors; It's way too much fast forward. You don't need to be putting that stuff into your life. Your thumb will break trying to fast forward through all the things that a good godly person doesn't need to be looking at. But there, anyway. How do you know? Because I made the mistake and I finally turned it off. Don't need to watch that. Saved you the trouble. You're welcome. I I go out before you to pave the way. Anyway, (laughs) that's so stupid. Don't laugh at that. King Henry VIII recognized something about the sovereignty of Jesus. And he said, this is why it flows Because he is the king. And I recognize his sovereignty because I am a king. He ain't even a godly man and we're learning things about Jesus from him. In his kingliness, in his authority, he was the ultimate authority. If he said jump, everybody didn't even ask how high. They just started jumping, hoping it would be high enough. Before the ump was out, the jill was out, and they were already hopping. But King Henry understood that Jesus Christ is sovereign. He recognized that his own authority was even subject to the sovereignty of the Almighty incarnate. And he said, this is why this flows better. It establishes firmly for all time Who Jesus is. It's pretty amazing. But notice this. As as awesome as that is, and by the way, every one of us should follow Henry VIII's pattern and acknowledge that Jesus is way more sovereign than we could ever be. The ancient Hebrews recognized themselves as subjects of a divine king. Why was God so offended when the people asked for a king in the Old Testament? Why, why were they so why was he so offended? Why did he say, like, oh, I'll give you what you're asking for? Because when they asked for Samuel to anoint a king, what they were saying is, we want a sovereign we can see. But in praying, the they would acknowledge who God is a, a pagan king acknowledges his sovereignty, and a chosen nation firmly established from day one out of the loins of Abraham by God for the purpose of being the light to the nations, they acknowledge fully who God is. and we fast forward into our time and we get offended when the king doesn't give us our juice box. Man, it got quiet. Y'all still like me? Y'all ready to learn the other side of this? Like, please, page two, please. Y'all, our lives are directly impacted by our acceptance of Jesus' sovereignty. You can argue with it all day long. Your life is directly impacted by this argument. Well, let me tell you what Calvin wrote. Who gives a flying rat's toenail what Calvin said? Well, this ancient... Who cares? Tertullian... Can't even say his name good. Like, why does it matter... What does the king say about himself? Notice this, when we say Jesus is sovereign, we're not making him king. We're accepting the fact that he has already been king before he ever said, let there be anything. We're simply placing ourselves under the sovereignty that always has been and always will be. And this is what radically impacts our lives. So here's what I want to do real quick. I want to fast forward in the laying of the foundation for the next couple months. I want to fast forward into the book that so many of you love so deeply and immensely, Revelation chapter 17. I want us to go there real quick. And, And everybody thinks that the book of Revelation is the book about the end times. It's not. Everybody thinks the book of Revelation is the scary book. Like, oh, The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. That means the scariness of Jesus Christ. No, that's not what that means. Oh, this is the wars of Jesus. No, the word apocalypse is a Greek word that literally means revealing of. The book of Revelation is the apocalypse or the revealing of Jesus Christ. In other words, as you read John's vision that God physically picked him up out of the Isle of Patmos and took him into the realm of God, into what he knew to be the future, and began to show him things about himself. He is being revealed who Jesus is in full form. In other words, every bit of the veil that hides who Jesus is is torn down in the book of Revelation. Hey, believer, you need to read the book. You're probably not going to understand it, but that's okay. That's why right after the first year, we're starting an in-depth Bible study going through chapter by chapter the book of Revelation because we need to know who Jesus is. Amen? There you go, commercial for next year. 23, here we come. Chapter 17, verse 14, just one verse of scripture here. We're jumping into the middle of a section. So, as we read this, I'm going to give you some understanding. It says, They will make war with the Lamb. Who's the they? Who's the they? You got to ask who the they is. They say so many things. So, who is the they? Well, in this particular case, not all the time, but in this particular case, the they are the, the kingdoms of the ten horns who are empowered by the beast. Like, I don't want to read this. This is a direct prophecy about what has already started, what is actually being played out right now in our reality. By the way, if when you read the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel and the book of 2 Thessalonians, they all kind of tie together and they all point to what's happening in, like, the news right now. So if you watch the news, you should have already read the book of Revelation because, like, it's happening. You're like, but where did they get that? That's where they got it because it's, like, happening because God said it was going to happen. Amen? Isn't it cool how the God who exists outside of time knows what's going to happen because he's like, yep, you know, ain't, y'all ain't there yet, but. There you go. So who is the they? There is ten kingdoms that are established after the church is rescued away. Don't let anybody tell you that the church gets rescued at the end because that is direct violation of the scripture because the bride cannot be here when God turns his heart back to his chosen nation. So the bride has to be rescued first to usher in the flow of what God is doing here in the end of time. We'll dive into that a little bit more later, but that ought to aggravate enough of the emailers. And here we go. The the 10 kingdoms are 10 kingdoms that are established to prop up the kingdom of the beast. Anybody know who the beast is? 666, you've all heard about it, like the mark of the beast, the, the son of perdition, the evil man. The, you know, we don't know who that is, but the beast is coming. The Bible calls him a beast because he comes in and he begins to control the world. And the vehicle that he uses to control the world, it's so interesting. It, it, it's so interesting. It's like God knew what was going to happen or something. He controls the world with religion, and sexuality. Have you turned on the news? Have you done a swipe on TikTok? Have you heard the Talking Heads talk about fluidity of gender? Is it any wonder? I don't know how that's going to happen. It's already happening. It's happening all around us. Well, that's just that's that's not hate speech. That's the Bible. I'm not hating anybody. I love everybody. I love the Furbies. I love the Broccoli's. And I'm not making fun. There are people that identify as vegetables. I love them. Jesus loves them. Men who identify as women, I love them. Women who identify as men, I love them. All God's creatures are created in his likeness and in his image. So I love them because he loved them first. And he gave himself up for them. I don't hate them. I'm not maligning them. I'm reaching for them because they don't know who he is. But how is the end time going to happen? How how is the son of perdition going to do his thing? He is going to usher in a revolution of religion and sexual perversion. And there are ten kingdoms of the world that are established. And these ten kingdoms who answer to the beast are going to make war with the lamb. But notice this. But the lamb. Everybody say, but but the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. But the lamb will conquer them. Why will the Lamb conquer them, Pastor? Because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those accompanying the Lamb... Pastor, those sound like really cool people. Who are the people who are accompanying the Lamb? I'm so glad you asked that question. The called. Y'all remember a series we did a couple months ago called Called? (laughs) But they're not just called because many are called. But they're also chosen because few are chosen. And even fewer are faithful. Everyone receives a call. Those who surrender to the call are the chosen. And the chosen who make it through the battle are the faithful. They are the ones who accompany the lamb as he fights the army of religion and sexuality. Is this okay today? Anybody learning some stuff? Like I'm flipping stoked for where we're going over the next few weeks. My Bible nerd is going off on every level right now. Kim, is this okay? Here we go. You've got to understand this. In this moment, John is seeing a prophecy of something that will happen. It has not happened yet. It will happen. But in this moment, firmly, without question, without controversy, without debate, Jesus will prove his lordship. Jesus will prove his lordship. Well, I don't even know what a lord is. Great question because, again, we live in a democracy. We don't think monarchical, so we don't understand what a Lord is. A Lord is entrusted with responsibility over a portion of the king's territory. A king would sit on the throne and he would say, Lord Tyler, I'm going to give you responsibility over Algiers. Yes, bless your heart, but Lord Tyler, you may not feel like you're up to it, but I'm the Lord over you because I'm the king and I'm giving you responsibility in the area where I've planted you. But I'm going to give you everything that you need to accomplish the task. You just got to trust my kingliness. So did y'all catch that? I'm going to give it all to you. You're going to be Lord over this area. You're my representative in that region of my realm. Does that make sense? Okay, Jesus is going to prove his lordship over the earthly realm. Why is this important? Because the earthly realm was already given over to the devil when God kicked the devil out of the realm of God and he gave him the realm of the earth. That's why you suffer all the things that you suffer. You're living in a fallen realm that doesn't even belong to you, which is why you need the authority of Jesus as you go through life because without the authority of the word of God, you're not going to know how to fight all these authorities that come against you because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You are in the realm of the devil, but in this moment Jesus Christ will firmly establish his lordship in the realm that he has already surrendered to the devil. Man, that's good. You may not like it as much as me, but that's flipping awesome. He is the Lord of lords. But he's not just stopping with, I'm the one who's been given authority. He's also going to prove his kingship. Why? Because Jesus holds all authority in the palm of his hand because he is the ultimate authority in heaven and on earth. How do we know this? Matthew 28 verse 18 says all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Colossians 4 and 9 in him dwelled all the fullness of divinity in bodily form. Go go read through the rest of Colossians. The identity and the authority of Jesus Christ has been firmly established. There is no question who the man Christ Jesus has become. He is robed in deity. He is the fullness of the invisible. He is the manifestation of the one that we cannot see. He is the living word. He is the source of everything and he is king of kings and he sits firmly on the throne but here's what's so cool not only does he sit on the throne he also sits in every seat of government where the lord sit because he is also the lord of lords there's no authority that's higher than him hey that authority is marginalizing people well my lord is higher than that lord That's why when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against it because he is the Lord over anything the enemy has or the enemy can do. He is God. He is the first. He is the last. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the all in all. Come on, let's give him some praise for a few minutes. You got to understand this church, he is not only king of kings, he is also the full expression of divine authority. He is Lord, or if you're reading in the Old Testament, he is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Jehovah God. He is Lord. Who's in charge of this realm? Jesus. The realm just doesn't know it yet. That's why when a child of God follows the pattern that the king set and says, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this realm as it's already being done in the heavenly realm. We are inviting and paving the way for his realm to literally invade the hell that you and I live in. Anybody needs some God in your situation? Are you ready to acknowledge that He's in charge and you're not? This is where we go. So, because I'm a good non denominational pastor, I'm going to give you three ways <laughs> to place Jesus on the throne of your life. He already sits on His throne, but He wants to sit on yours. So, three ways. That you and I, and every believer watching, every believer who hears this later, for you to place Jesus on the throne of your life. First, acknowledge his sovereignty. Acknowledge his sovereignty. How do I do that? Repentance. We just spent a month and a half unpacking what repentance actually is. Changing our mind, changing our our actions. Repentance is the posture of subservience. No one's going to tell me what to do. That's not repentant. That's why you keep going through the crap you're going through in your life. I don't like that. Me neither. We ain't king. Remember our Kedishim that we made up a few minutes ago? Jesus, you're God. We're not. I'm going to take on the posture of subservience. I don't like what I'm going through. Oh, God. Be king. I suck at it. Does that make sense? Yes. So first, we have to acknowledge his sovereignty. Number two. Everybody say number two. Sure. Surrender to his word. Ooh. Well, I read the verse of the day. That's not surrendering to his word. I post it on my social media. That's not surrendering to his word. I have it tattooed on my back backwards so I can look in the mirror and read it. Now, that's not surrendering to his word. <laughs> If you do that, wow. (laughs) How do you surrender to his word? You sit at his feet. You sit at his feet. How do we know this? I I don't have time to get into it right now, but when you look in in the New Testament, every time Jesus is unpacking the word of God, he has the disciples and whoever else is there Sitting at his feet. They are in a posture of learning. So many of us today don't want to learn anything from God. We just want him to be our genie. We want Robin Williams popping out of a lamp.
1: Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa. That's what
0: we want. You get three wishes. I want unlimited wishes. Can't have that wish. This is a crock. I've been ripped off. That's what we want. That's not God. We need to be in a posture of learning and understand we don't know anything about this except what his breath his pneuma his ruach breathes into us y'all don't spirit if you're old school Pentecost ghost (laughs) this is why that song we sang today I need the Holy Ghost I need the Holy Ghost and fire that's not similar it's Halloween time no that's not what that's about You need the breath of God active in your life, breathing into your situation so where you are sitting in the posture of learning, you begin to learn and comprehend who he is and what he has already said. Number three, everybody say number three. You gotta learn to live as a member of kingdom. Oh. What about free will, pastor? Well, first off, religion is doing everything it can to get rid of free will and say that that's not a real thing. Politics is definitely trying to do that. Entertainment is trying to numb that out of people. The whole gender fluidity thing is to remove individualism. We don't understand that we have a choice in this. Here's the deal. He's king whether we like it or not. There's nothing that any of us could ever do to make him not king. He's already king. Look at your neighbor and say, he's already king. But are you and I going to live as members of kingdom? That's our choice. You can. I can. All God's children can say, I don't want to live like that. And he's like, deuces. If you need me, I'm here because my door is always open and my mercies are made new every morning because you're going to screw up every day and every night you're going to screw up. And so you need a pathway back in to my kingdom. So it's always there. You don't, you don't want me? I, I still love you. I don't believe in God. He believes in you so much that he robed himself in flesh and lived and died and then resurrected so you don't have to live without him. That's how much he believes in you but you and I have a choice. Well, I don't have that personal conviction. What'd the king say? I don't know. Because I only get the minute and a half snippets of the TikTok preacher and they don't ever talk about it. Because they're trying to get followers instead of make disciples for Jesus. They're trying to get that million followers mark so they can get paid every time they post. Which nothing wrong with it. That'd be cool. But that's not advancing the kingdom of God. That's advancing the kingdom of the individual. You and I have a choice. Are we going to live as members? Let, let me put it into a real monarchial language. Are you and I going to make the choice to live as subjects of a sovereign? This is our choice. You say, well, you've talked about posture of subservience and the posture of learning. And repentance and sitting at His feet. What is? How do we do? That? That's worship. A few minutes ago, before I preached, we were in the presence of God and they were leading us in worship. We were singing songs. Where would I be? And this is the kingdom and fire and we're singing and. If you were in the room, you could feel the presence of God. Just go. Because the posture of worship is where we learn to be subjects of a king. It's the posture of adoration. So I want to do something a little bit different. When every eye closed, every head bowed. We're not even going to understand what repentance is or even how to sit at his feet if we cannot first grasp what worship is. So without anybody looking around, I'm going to ask, and I know I know that you've got to go. I know you got some things to do, but just give Jesus, give King Jesus a few more minutes if you don't mind. I'm going to show you how we go into that posture of worship.
1: Yes, the world will bow down and say you are God. Every man will bow down and say you are King. So let's start right now. Why would we King of glory, fill this place, I just want to be with you, we just want to be with you.
0: This is the posture of worship. You can't even get into the place of repentance until you're first willing to acknowledge that He is greater than you. I want us to turn this place into the anteroom of the throne room. What is the anteroom? That's the place just outside where the throne sits. And this is where you prepare yourself to go into the presence of the sovereign. I wonder if there would be anybody else who would join me. If you want to come to the altar, if you want to sit right where you are, that's fine. But I want everyone to
1: join me as we say, Yes, the world will bow down and say you are God. Every man will bow down and say you are God.